This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus' name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We are in Genesis chapter 38. We're we're dealing with the story of Tamar and her husband's passing away because of their wickedness. And we get to verse 11, and this is the turning point of the story. The story thus far has had her marry the oldest son of Judah, and his name was Ur. And Ur, the Bible just says, was wicked. It doesn't even go into a whole lot of detail. And in many ways, that's how God deals with wickedness. He's not going to uh, go into a lot of detail with it. In fact, he's not even going to. He's not even going to glorify it in any way uh, with any information or knowledge. He's just going to mention it and then move on. And that's what he did. He mentioned that he was wicked and that wickedness was not going to be in the line of Jesus. And he moved on. And when he moved on, Ur was no more. And so once Ur passed away, there was a responsibility. And we talked about that in great detail yesterday. There was a responsibility for Onan, his brother, to give him a line. And that's not for for Ur because Ur is gone. It's for his wife. And if his wife, if he had no wife, there would be no there would be no provision for that. And that's how you know that it's not about Ur. It's about Tamar, and it's about Tamar continuing to be taken care of and be tied to the promises of God. And God is making provision for the wife in the family. He's making provision for the woman in the relationship, and that's the way it ought to be. And that really is the way it is. And when we study it, we understand that the reason Onan had a responsibility to give her a son or give her children was for Tamar's sake. And so Tamar is the one that is of the most importance. And when he goes in, when he realizes that if he gives her an heir or a son, that he's going to lose a large portion of his father's inheritance, which he would have he would have gained right then, he decides that he's going to do what is necessary not to give her a child. And the Bible says that he admitted on the ground, which means he just wasted it. And literally that word for admitted means to waste or to treat as useless. And so he 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 made sure that she didn't have a child. And when she didn't have a child, he was going to gain from that. And she was going to lose from that. And the Bible says that to God saw that as wicked. It displeased, it's displeased the Lord or it, it was wicked before his eyes is really the phrase or the word picture that we see there with the word displeased. It is he was wicked before his eye, before the eyes of God. And what did God do? He killed him. Now, I want you to notice this is important. There are two things that, that have happened here. One son has died just because of his innate wickedness. And the other son has died because of the wickedness of his actions. And notice that none of that has to do with Tamar. Not one bit of it has to do with Tamar. It all has to do with the quality of the character 
of the sons. And that is the issue at hand here, is that Judah's sons are of low quality and are of low character because Judah has raised them that way. They are not children that do the right thing. And now listen, that is a commonality. That is a commonality uh, uh, in when you read and study about the children of Abraham. You're going to see that goes on often and regularly in the sense that they turn away from God. Now you're going to have great people come out of there too, but you're going to you're going to have lots of people who do not want to trust God and do not want to walk with God, even though they come from the line and the blessing of God. Those children are evil. Now the the issue is where does that come from? What where's the problem? Well, sometimes in life you just have a child, and that child is just going to be rebellious and do what they want to. Do. And you can almost see that from the time they start walking. They're just they're going to beat. They're going to dance to the beat of their own drum. And they're going to do whatever they want to do, whenever they want to do. But that being said, parents do have a role to play in this. Our society wants to take the parents' role out of it and wants to really remove that whole idea of parental responsibility. In fact, our society wants the society to raise the children and the parents to have nothing to do with it. I'm going to say this, our constitution and our understanding of, of our faith teaches us that parents have a role and a duty to raise their children and to train them up in the ways they should go. Now, that means individually, individualistically, we don't train them up as, as all the same. We figure out the bents and the gifts and the talents and the desires and the heart of the children that we have, and we help them figure out the way they should go in life, the place they should fit in as far as their life is concerned. And so we do that regularly, and we do that on a continual basis. It's a process. It's not a. It's not an event. You don't sit down when they're three years old and say, okay, this one's going to be a nuclear scientist, and that one's going to be an NBA basketball player, and this one over here is going to own their own construction company, and that one over there is really good at accounting, and we're going to give them the, we're going to make them an accountant. And in fact, in societies that have command economies, meaning that the government is totally in control of everything, they literally start doing that at those ages. And what happens is you end up, you end up raising children to go in a direction that they weren't made to go in because you fail to recognize the gifts and the talents that develop the desires and the passions that develop in their life. You fail to realize that. And let me say this, if I had to have chosen for my daughters, which way they should go in their lives when they were even 14 and 15 and 16 years old, I would have not chosen or not would not have believed how their lives would have turned out. I wouldn't have known that. I would have headed them in a different direction. And the direction that they found and that they've gone on is far better than the one I probably would have planned out. So my job is not to train them up and tell them exactly where to go. My job is not control them. My job is not to uh, lead them in a path that, that I think they should go on. The Bible says train up a child in the way he should go, in the direction that child should head in. And that is a process of leading, guiding, teaching, training, loving, and helping that child figure out where they're going. And now that process should start real early. It really should <clears throat> start real, real early. I'm sometimes shocked and amazed when I talk to some older teenagers and I say, what are you thinking about doing with your life? And they have They've not even considered the, the idea that they probably should try to figure out what to do with their life. That consideration has never crossed their mind. 
And that's not their fault. That's their parents' fault. They, their parents have never even tried to have a adult conversation. They've continued to treat them as if they're five and six years old rather than help them along in the process. You ought to always be, if you're going to train up a child in the way he should go, you should always be thinking about the next steps down the road that your child's going to make and be preparing them for those things, meaning be talking about them, meaning have those things on the forefront of their mind, being allow, allowing them to see where this process is headed and what we should do with those pro, these pro, that process and making those considerations. So when they get those crossroads of life, they don't have to turn around and look at you and they have no idea about the crossroads. And when your children are, are so many times we get so up we get so uptight about talking to our children about the opposite sex and about relationships and about those things. The truth is you probably ought to be talking to your children. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the physical part about it. I'm talking about the choosing and the, how those relationships work and how marriage works and how you ought to be talking about those things when they're early teenagers. So that when they're looking, they're out there looking to see uh, what's going on with people and they're considering things far past the physical. Because if you just leave it up to them, they'll make those decisions just purely based off of the physical. And if they make that decision purely based off the physical, many times, especially the longer we go in our society, many times that's going to be a poor decision. And the question is, are you enabling them to be immature or are you helping them to gain immaturity? Are you training them up? For the future, or are you just trying to make it through the present? Are you them how to be who they should be down the road, or are you just using them to fulfill your own selfish desires? And so many times we're doing that too, by the way. They're there for our pleasure, meaning they're there to make us happy or make us feel like we're good people or make us that this is my baby. And it's a lot like that. It's a lot like the abominable snowman. I'm going to pet him and love him and keep him and hold him. And then eventually, what does he do? He crushes him. And that's what we do with our children sometimes. I want, I just want my baby to stay a baby forever. And you know what? The only person that feels that way is you because nobody wants a 17-year-old baby to be around them except for you. And it's sick, really, if you want to know the truth. It's just, it's really psychosis. You are giving your children as a gift for the moment. It's a momentary gift. It's a, it's a just a short period of time, and they're a gift given to you for you to take responsibility of and to help them become a mature adults so that you can have some mature, wonderful grandchildren to be around when you get older. And if you don't do it well at the it, with the children, the grandchildren become a problem. And that's really what Jesus is having real trouble here. Er, his oldest son, had a wife, and he was wicked, and God killed him. And then his second was selfish, and God killed him too. And so then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, notice this. And by the way, they still have a responsibility to take care of Tamar. They still have a responsibility to try to, because she's still a childbearing age. They still, that family, had, they've taken this daughter-in-law in. That family has a duty to make sure that she has an heir so she can be tied to the promises of God and to the land. They, that duty didn't go away. It says, then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till my son Sheila is grown. Notice, he said, I'm going to wait till he's a little bit older so he don't do anything because he's probably going to do something stupid too and God's going to kill him. And I don't want to lose all my sons. So he's saying, we're going to wait till he is grown. He's fully grown. And uh, then, then we'll let him give you an heir. And notice for he said, lest he also die like his brothers. 
which means there's quite clear evidence. Judas thought about this, and obviously he would have thought about it deeply because he's got two sons that are, he would have considered it in pretty, once you have some of that stuff happen in your life, people generally, as they get a little bit older, they actually sit down and go, oh, I created this. Uh-oh, there's a problem here. Uh-oh, I have not allowed this thing to go down the right path. And that in his brothers, in Judah's brothers, that most of them, most of them don't have quality in their character. And in fact, the one who had the greatest character, they sold him into slavery in the chapter before here. And so we, there's obviously a great family dysfunction that's going on. And this family dysfunction is carried on and increased. Judah was not pleased with his brothers who killed the whole village. He wasn't pleased with that, but his sons ended up being the same way. I wonder why. Because he was raised by the same man who raised those two boys. And uh, and so he he passed those things on. And we'll see also in, in the verses right before the Ten Commandments, right before the Ten Commandments are read to the people, it says, the sins of the father passed to the second and third generation, but the grace of God is unto a thousand generations. What's God saying? Issues that you have in your family keep getting passed down unless you bring the grace of God to bear on those situations and change them. And that is an important necessary principle. How do I do that, Pastor? This is how you do it. First of all, you receive the grace of God. You begin to receive God's grace in its fullness. How do I do that? You regularly be in a place where God's word is being taught. You regularly meet in a place where God's word is being told to people and it's being poured over your heart. You regularly on your own spend some time in God's word and worshiping, by the way, not just time in God's word, but actually singing. And I know there's a lot of men out there who don't like the singing portion of the service. By the way, that's the emotive portion of the service. That's the portion of the service that, that is designed to reach out to your passions, your heart, the part of your life that is the emotive or emotional part of your life. And you know what? Some of you need that to be brought in line with God too, for your emotions to be in line with God's will as well as as, as well as your mind in, in, in line with God's will. Now, when we hear the word of God being preached or being prophesied out on Sunday morning, being told out to the people, when we hear that speaks to our mental capacity. So you need to be studying God's word and you need to be listening to and praising God, not just listening to praise music, but singing along. And uh, you say, preacher, is that really? Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm just end of it. That, I'm not going to get into trying to talk you into doing something you don't want to do. Do it. Sometimes in life, I'm not a great singer. And I don't really tell you the truth. If you ask my wife, I don't listen to music all that much. I don't. But let me tell you something. I do know the value of worshiping God. And uh, it's important that you spend a little time during the day worshiping God. And so you need to sing along. And uh, you can do that in the car by yourself. Nobody's got to be listening, but uh, it has value. And then once you begin to grow in that grace, then you can begin to evaluate your raising and your parents and the things like that. And, and remember, we're not evaluating them for condemnation purposes. We're evaluating them under the standard of grace. And so what you're doing is you're, you spend some time thinking about how you were raised and thinking about the good things that came from that, the godly things that happened when you were being raised up and you, and you, and you praise God for those things and all the good things that your parents did for you. But then you also sit back and say, what is it? Some of the things that just weren't 
exactly in line with God's word that happened and went on and were a part of my parents and maybe even my grandparents' lives. Yeah, Nana is not perfect either. And so just are those things. And now give them grace because they had their own struggles and their own difficulties. But you got to say, okay, did I take, did I, is that part of me? And we hate the parent that you don't get along with the most is usually the parents you're exactly like. Okay, you do need to know that the parent that you don't get along with the most and y'all come to loggerheads and you just keep butting heads like them big giant rams on the back. They stand up on their back, back hind legs and they just come at each other and whoom, and they hit that that parent that you're like, you're just like them. And the reason you you don't get along with them very much is because all that they're like that you don't like about you hate in them and it bothers you. And what you need to do is you need to realize, okay, I'm very much like that one. And that's a hard place to be. And then you need to go, okay, what are the positives about that? And then what are the things that God would love to change with his grace? And then you choose to change those things with his grace. You say, I choose God's grace and I choose God's will and God's way over how I am or how I was raised or the things that were passed on to me. And that's what you do. And you give it to God. And you allow God to change you. And now here's the thing. You cannot have the attitude that for this process to ever work, you cannot have the attitude of that's just the way I am. And I love that. I love to hear that from from folks that I'm dealing with and pastoring. I just, that's just the way I am. The way you are will send you to hell. Okay. The way you are, if you just left to your own devices and just to who you are, will lead to pain, suffering, loss, and ultimately destruction. So we're not... Christianity is nothing about us remaining the same. Nowhere in there is that. Jesus died for your sins and he bought you at a price and he is going to begin the salvific work in you. And that salvific work means you got to do some changing. And that's not an excuse. And then once you've given your parents grace and you've considered those things and you've allowed those things to change your life, you break the chain. And then that grace that you chose to grab hold of lasts for a thousand generations. Because when we choose the grace of God's grace is powerful and unleashes an anointing and a power on our lives that is just, it's just amazing. And it's filling and it's wholesome and it's wonderful. And you know what? It sometimes even changes our parents as we get older. Sometimes they see that and they go, you know what? I ought to do that. That might ought to be something I need to be a part of. And then for you, you've allowed the grace of God not only to change the thousand generations to come, but you've allowed the grace of God to change the hearts of your parents. And isn't that a beautiful thing? But the way you don't do it is you don't do it the way Judah's doing it here. He said, listen, we're just not going to let him, we're just not going to let her, him get together. It's quite obvious our children don't have any character and we don't want him to die. You know what? Maybe you ought to teach him why those things were happening. It's going to have a huge effect on this young man. It's going to have a huge effect on him that his two brothers have died. And maybe that's the, that'd be the nucleus, the starting point, the generation point where he actually gets some life change. Maybe that, maybe this is an opportunity for him to figure out that the path his brothers were taking was not the right path. And let me tell you, you can do that for your children also. It can be very helpful for them to see the failures, not only of yourself. And by the way, if you really want to help your children, uh, sometimes you need to mention how flawed and failed you are. I try to, as a pastor, make it fairly evident 
for for the congregation that I am a flawed and a sinful man, and I am in need of salvation, and I'm in need of sanctification, and I'm in need of God's work in my life, just like they are. And I don't lord it over them as perfection. I tell them, y'all come follow me as I follow Christ, and, and that's the way it's done. And so sometimes every once in a while you need to tell your kids, I made this mistake and that mistake growing up. And so many times we want to hide those things only to find out our children are right in the middle of them when they get older. You'd be better off saying, these are the mistakes I made growing up. These are the things I did that I shouldn't have done. And these are the things that are very destructive. And this is what God's word says about that. And this is how God would have it be. And if, if you do the opposite of the way I did it, this is how God's going to bless you. And you'd be surprised how the grace of God might step in and change them before they ever even walk down that path. Huh. <sighs> And so parenting is a difficult job, uh, and it's given to people who are totally inept at it, to tell you the truth. And we grow as much in it as our children do. And if you do it really well, it will change you and make you greater and more than you could ever imagine. And you'll understand God in a way that you'd never understand him before because you receive your children when you're too young and dumb to know how to handle them. And God leads and guides you through it and ultimately gives you his grace in the midst of it. And for you are benefiting in in so many ways and your children are benefiting from your growth also and so we're going to expect that takes place for you and your children and we're going to be excited about it and we're going to be very hopeful for it and i'm going to expect that for you and i hope this has been a blessing as you go today i pray that the lord will bless you and keep you that he'll make his face to shine upon you and that he will give you hope and peace today in jesus name